It's hot outside, and now you can ride the heat wave of summer with hot sales at Waltons.com. Right now, they're holding their biggest summer sale ever, and it features your favorite Waltons branded grinders, mixers, and vacuum sealers. All non-suffer equipment is running between 20 and 35% off, and the Waltons branded chamberless vacuum bags are up to 40% off. If you want to keep your food fresh with their chambered vac sealer right now, It's $275 off. Yeah, you heard that right. So get a jump on processing season now and save big time with Walton's Summer Sale. It's hot. To order, head over to waltons.com today. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Aluma Trailers, Federal Ammunition, Walton's, Onyx Hunt, Nutrisource Pet Foods, and by North Dakota Tourism. Today we're talking guns, dogs, and bucket list bird hunts with Tim Joseph from Benelli. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton. Is a long ways away from us right now, but he is our producer, and hopefully he can make this audio work. We are overlooking a little bit of paradise right now. On my right, there's more walleyes than we could ever count. On my left, there's probably more grouse than uh, most people ever even realize walking back there. We're on the shore of Lake of the Woods, sitting on the deck of Wiley Point Lodge. Scott Franzen, sitting directly across from me. That noise right there, yep, you hear that? There goes a that's John, our That's our grouse flushers going yeah. by There's right a there. John Deere gator right there. Yeah. Tim Joseph to my right. And Scott, you've been wanting to do live podcasts for a while now. We did one at uh, Pheasant Fest, but technically this is a live podcast. It, we got it a studio is a live audience. Podcast. We got Ron Scherer right over here to our right. We got Bill Shirk over to the left and a handful of other people coming and going. Uh, but uh, like I mentioned, we are outside. So if you hear some wind, I apologize for that. Um, Scott, your trigger finger is not looking very good right now. What happened to you? Well, I, I, <clears throat> I had a little battle with a northern pike this morning. It was my fault, not his. I slipped into his gill plate, and he decided to move, and it's okay. We'll, we'll be okay but come hunting season. I, don't, I think I last, you know, half gallon of blood or something. It, it, we're good. <laughs> we're fine. I'm not too lightheaded yet. He's got any, any more than normal. You've Travis. got a built-in excuse for misses come hunting season. Now yeah. you can. Ron's got you know the eye excuse. Now you've got your I've finger, got finger trigger excuse. finger excuse. Tim Joseph from Benelli, appreciate you. Uh, after a long hard day of fishing, being willing to sit down and and it, talk with us. It's a dirty us. job. Somebody's got to do it. Yes, yes. yes. Throwing myself on the sword. Yeah, so if you're, well, maybe I'll let you explain this, Scott, why we're, we're mixing business and pleasure this week, even though some people think we're always mixing business and pleasure. <laughs> Scott, or uh, Ron, would you, he's over here. <laughs> there we go. There we Ron's go. a live studio audience. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but we didn't cue the laugh card yet, Ron. No, no that was well done. That was ex- perfectly executed. No, we're, we, I mean... We are up here in Canada with uh, friends and partners of um, 
the company and we're <clears throat> doing a little fishing, entertaining, socializing, um, and just really just having fun. Yeah. You know, just kind of having fun. There's probably a few places in North America that, have, that has better fishing than Lake of the Woods. And we are, uh, I would say, is this about a 40-mile, not 40-mile boat ride in, but Probably 30. 30? I bet it's 30, yeah. From the mainland. So we're on an island, and um, they they treat us very well here at Wiley Point. Well, we, we've worked with uh, Totem Resorts and Lodges many years, and, and that's where the people and partners that we worked with when we did the French Portage show. Was that five years ago? I bet it's longer than that. I bet it's six, six or years seven. ago? Yeah. So this is one of those places that um, when when people ask me, where if you had a, a grouse hunt or a, a week off in say October, you know where would you go? And this one has been one that I've brought up many times. Not here at Wiley Point, but French Portage is about eight miles. Yeah, yeah from I, from where we're twelve miles from here. From yeah. where we sit right now, and it's this remote camp on an island and. You can catch all the fish, as, as we saw in that episode. You can catch all the walleyes you can handle right off the dock. You don't have to leave the dock. On the backside of the island, there's a bunch of rice. And we got all the ducks and geese we could handle. We got our limit faster than the cameraman wanted to the morning <laughs> that, we, that we hunted for waterfowl. It was amazing. It's, you talk to some of the people out here on the island, and... And they say this is one of those secret duck hunting places that not a lot of people know about. But we actually came for the grouse. That was our main reason for coming out here. And we just walk right in the woods behind the cabin, and there were grouse all over the place. So it's one of those unique places that you can come fish muskies, walleyes, hunt ducks and geese, and grouse, all you know from basically any island. This is considered crown land. All these islands around here, and, and uh, I don't know, Ron. Can you tell me how many islands are on Lake of the Woods? Fourteen thousand of them. There you go. I, no, I haven't counted them. Yes. No, I tried counting them one time, and I got to thirty, I think. But um, it's a paradise. Uh, but what I think what you're going to get to, Travis, is a lot of these islands have grouse on them, mm -hmm. and now they're not nice, handy trails to walk, but there are. Uh, uh, rough grouse and spruce grouse, which is a different kind of bird. Most people don't uh, uh, get to hunt. But, yeah, there's a bear here, deer here, and um, and a lot of uh, a lot of grouse. And you mentioned fishing, duck hunting. So it's kind of an outdoor paradise. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know how many grouse we saw, but one thing was interesting. They don't associate us with danger like they do in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. They're not used to dogs. They're not used to hunters. These birds look at you. The dog's on point, and they look at the dog, and they kind of just tilt their head a little bit and start walking away, and the dog on point just staring at the bird, walking away. And it was difficult for us to get them to flush a and, lot of and times. And the shooting, there's not real shooting lanes. There's no shooting lanes. There's no shooting lanes. So yeah. it's... But... But if you want an adventure... Adventure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the... the the unique thing about this is if you want to combine an upland, waterfowl, and fishing adventure, this is the place to do it, really. I mean, there's not many... Well, you can do it in other other places, maybe in the States, but this, you know, every island you go to is basically public land. Mm -hmm. And you're, in, you're 
an adventure. And we had an adventure, too, and we did it. Yep. We lost a camera. We got reined in. We, we, we had to... How did we get home, Travis? We had to, like, boat one place and then come back and then boat in. We were kind of stuck on the island for, like, a day and a half, weren't we? I don't know. I don't yeah, remember that remember, The it's weather possible. came in, remember? And oh, oh, it was yeah, really bad. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. couldn't leave when we thought we were going to leave. And <laughs> Anyway, enough about us. We're in a wonderful place right now. And uh, it's a place that, obviously, if you want to come and experience an adventure like this, the opportunity exists. Tim Joseph, I want to bring you into the conversation. Tim, you have traveled around the world on hunting adventures, but in particular bird hunting. Are there any um, bucket list bird hunts that jump out to you that you've been on? Oh boy, you know I I have to say that that I have had a, a lot of opportunities to be in a lot of different places and and so much of it is I think about um, who you're with sometimes. So any any time I can be with my boys on a hunt, uh, that to me is is special. I love hunting wild pheasants. Um, I really got a lot of my start um, hunting uh, both bobwhite quail and um, and pheasants in Ohio, and then spent quite a bit of time living in in Vermont. And really developed a real love for for woodcock and for rough grouse um, up there. So, um, yeah, I haven't done a lot. Of, I've done. I have traveled the world and hunted a lot of places. I haven't done as much upland bird hunting uh, around the world as I have done um, waterfowl and, and big game. Okay, um, but uh, there's a lot of stuff here in the states, and I think one of the things that's that uh, is great to remember as we have such great opportunities here in the States. So Absolutely. You did, uh, it looks like Ron has a question. Well, I was just going to say, uh, Travis, uh, Tim is uh, works for one of the greatest shotgun manufacturers in the world. You maybe ought to tell the folks uh, who, who we're really sitting it's, with. It's been a long day. My, my, my thoughts have uh, gone into the dang muskies that have been defeating me out there. <laughs> And, and uh, mine, I apologize. And mine, mine, as, I, well. mine yes, as well. Yes, yes. I apologize. Yes, Tim Joseph works for Benelli. I thought I mentioned that at the beginning, but I I apologize. Yes, um, Tim. How long have you been with Benelli? Uh, I've been with Benelli for six years. Okay. Uh, what did you do before that? Uh, I have uh, worked for uh, Orvis. Okay. I've, I've spent some time with Cabela's. Okay. Uh, with Woolrich. So I've been in the outdoor industry for for most of my life, um, and. Uh, I love it. You know, it's great to combine your, you know, what you love to do for work with what you love to do when you're when you're not working. So, um, it, I feel like I'm a very lucky individual to be able to do what I'm doing. Been a lot of hard work, obviously, to get here, but it's um, it it is it's a great gig. Do people ask you how do you get a job like that? <laughs> <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time somebody <laughs> asked me that, I wouldn't need to work. I could just collect the nickels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they do. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it, it, it looks like that's it's all we do, and certainly those opportunities are, are fantastic, and I wouldn't wouldn't trade those for anything. Um, but uh, there's a lot behind it too that that actually feels like uh, real legitimate work. <laughs> yeah, you fished with Ron today, so I I uh, understand see, there's, there's that there's some days work. are better than see, others. See, there's so legitimate work right there. <laughs> well, actually, Tim got to fish with Ron, Travis, and Scott. Who's your favorite, Tim? Oh boy! Uh, next question. <laughs> Scott, you like to ask that a lot. He just say Scott, so he everybody feels good. Everybody did a great job. Actually, <laughs> everybody does a great job hosting up here. We we have a great time when we come up here. One yeah. of my favorite trips, actually. I've said this repeatedly. This is one of my most relaxing 
most fun trips of the year to do. So. Yeah, there's not a bad place to fish out here on Lake of the Woods. No, and if you like walleyes, muskies. Scenery is beautiful, and the fishing is great, and the camaraderie is great. And, uh, and shore lunch does not, uh, is not hard to take. Yeah. Uh, how did you, um, or what is your current position at Benelli? I'm a vice president of marketing, so I oversee both marketing and product development. Okay, gotcha. Um, we were touched a little bit about your your escapades around the world and some of the places you've been, but I'm I'm really interested in your adventure in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Where did you go in Alaska, and what were you hunting for? Uh, well, I've been to Alaska several times. Um, we actually we did a couple things. One of them was well, I'll get to that one I guess secondly. I just came back from Alaska in May. I was up there for black bear. Okay. One of the things that we've introduced since you and I talked last is a bolt action rifle for Benelli. Mm-hmm. And uh, we Which now one have, is that? It's the Lupo. Yep. Um, we now have that on a variety of calibers, a couple of different camo finishes. Um, great gun. Um, it's attack driver. Uh, recoil reduction is built in. Um, I won't digress too much into the rifle side of things, but it's, it's built the same way that we built our shotgun. So it's a chassis-style gun. So rather than your you know, traditional rifle has a foreign and a stock that are all really all one piece, um, this one has a chassis in the middle. It has the basically the middle part, and then you've got the the forend and the stock are separate, which means that you can adjust this gun in the same way you can adjust a shotgun to fit you. Okay. So we took uh, what we learned with the you know guns like the Super Block Eagle Three and the Ethos and the A2AU, and took that same kind of a system, the shim system, and put it into a bolt action rifle. So it's very unique, and uh, I love it. It's actually my favorite bolt action rifle now to hunt with is that far is that does that have the best we do have that yeah we do and that's another thing that we've introduced as well i think since we talked last is the the best treatment so we put the best treatment on not all guns but uh mainly because there's the the capacity is difficult to come by to be able to do as many guns as we would like to do right now but uh um it is a it is a treatment that is bonded to the metal uh sorry about that yeah. uh there was a set up the gator drove by the again gator went I, by here so the, that doesn't always get picked up on these microphones because sometimes our dogs will be wrestling and we stop thinking that the dogs are making too much noise and then you don't actually hear them so it's possible somebody heard the gator drive gator by hasn't gone possible. by the cabin once in the last four days <laughs> mm-hmm. and now we do a mm-hmm. podcast That's and he's right. gone by five and times yep, yeah yeah yeah. So, um, what stardom. is the best? Stardom brings out the you know, the audience. Yeah. What does best stand for? It's a Benelli uh, surface treatment. So okay. it's the BE from Benelli, and then uh, surface treatment. So it's an acronym. So it's essentially the same process. I find this the easiest way to describe it. It's basically the same process that you would find on things like really high use um, metal parts, like let's say a doorknob um, on your house. The problem with being able to apply that to shotgun barrels or to um, gun parts in the past was the high temperature required to make that process work actually would be damaging to to a shotgun barrel. So what Benelli spent years and a tremendous amount of money developing was a way to actually apply that coating and that this treatment that bonds to the metal at a low enough temperature that it does not affect the barrel. So it's so tough, so durable, so scratch resistant that we we basically we guarantee it against 
rust and corrosion for 25 years. 25. That's how, that's how confident we are in this. So, How do you test something like that? Because I've got friends that put their guns in the bottom of a swamp and then after the duck hunt somehow forget that they're in the gun case and then the next morning when they yeah. pull it out, it's completely covered. We tested it by doing that. We actually dunked them in salt water and put them in a case wet um, and left them in the case for several days and then took them out and... So I, I tell you this, I'd love telling this story because it's a, it's a fun one. We actually introduced this to our sales force by taking a barrel and we actually submerged it in the brackish water of, you know, the, we're in Maryland, so, the, so we've got the Chesapeake Bay right there. So we actually took a little backwater bay and we submerged a barrel in the, in, the, um, in the drink. And twice a day it was exposed and then it got covered again with brackish water and then it went down. We left that barrel in there for three months. So we took the barrel out, we took it, we didn't really clean it up, we just took it out and we took it to the sales meeting and we gave the people in the room, we gave them the barrel and we gave them a cloth. And when we gave them the barrel and the cloth, we just asked them to wipe off a part of it and then pass it on to the next person. By the time it had gotten around the room, we had a pristine barrel. So that had been in the bay for, a uh, brackish bay for three months. Wow. So. Wow. So, and, you know, for, I'll just say that, you know, for yeah. those of us who hunt, especially if you hunt saltwater, it does not take long generally for rust to start to form on, on steel parts on a gun. Uh, and so this is, a, is a, uh, in my opinion, a godsend. And now this has been out for how long? Uh, we introduced Best, um, I think it was in 18. Um, I think it's 18 or 19. So it's been out for a while now. So we've got... A lot in the market that have actually, you know, lived up to their reputation of being exactly what we thought they were going to be. So, we we get glowing comments from the people who use them, especially people who are using them a lot in saltwater. Hmm. Which models have that? Um, we have it on uh, several models of the Super Black Eagle Three. We've got it on the Lupo bolt action rifle and some select models. The Ethos has it as well. Um, in fact, personally, I just wound up adding to my collection the the Cordoba best model that we have there in uh, a 28 gauge um so yeah we have it in most of our line when somebody asks you i mean this is a question scott and i have ron you've probably gotten this quite a few times as well but if you could only have one shotgun for upland bird hunting which one would it be and why uh for me it's the ethos i love the way that gun handles 12 you know, or 20 20 yeah I, I, I just, I love the way that it's so light. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely responsive. Um, I spent a lot of time, uh, when I first started hunting, I spent a lot of time with over and under. I still do love over and under guns and I shoot sporting clays, um, as well. I used to shoot sporting clays. I did amateur competitions, sporting clays, and I loved an over and under, but I've really grown to love a semi just because of the, the pointability, um, you know, shotgun fit is so much about what what fits you personally, and so that that gun just happens to to suit me very well. Ron, you're supposed to be a live studio audience, but you keep joining the program. Well, I keep thinking of interesting things to say. Yeah, well, we, as mind. opposed as opposed to what we've <laughs> been saying. Yeah. See, this uh, is like my day was well, all day it, today. <laughs> this is. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little older than all of you combined, but. Um, uh, uh, I, reminded myself that I used to carry a Remington 1100 because I liked semi-auto, thought mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, went goose hunting in, in Canada, fine dust blowing over. And the next thing I know, my Remington 1100 would fire it. it would, you could almost time it going back and forward again. Sometimes it would stuck and just wouldn't work. Yeah. And a friend of mine says, "Get rid of them semi-autos. You can't. You know, you need a, you need a Remington 870 pump or something. You know." And uh, then I got introduced to the Benelli, and I go, "This is so much different and better." Mm-hmm. And I'm not blowing smoke at you. It is. I've told people. I know, but I you could drag you could drag, you could drag my ethos. Cigar. Yeah. Cigar. Yeah. You could drag my ethos through the mud and was still pump I'm, or go. I'm sure. Uh, so that's a remarkable improvement for semi-autos because uh, of the experiences I had. And I, I wasn't alone. A lot of people had that mm-hmm. with the old style. And uh, that's that's a big improvement. Congratulations. The inertia system runs very clean. Um, and that's, that's what we have in our ethos and our, our um, almost all of our shotguns, actually. Um, and it, it, it blows a lot of the, the grime out the barrel. Um, it does not contain it. And um, we take a lot of pride in our firearms just continuing to run no matter what the conditions. They just cycle and they cycle and they cycle and they cycle and they just don't give up. So My, my story to prove that, that I've explained to several people when they ask about, because I, I have an Ethos 12-gauge, Benelli Ethos, and we were in North Dakota probably 25 below zero temperature, actual temperature, but the winds were just howling. And so it was blowing, you know, when it's, when it was fresh snow, so it was blowing. Everything just had snow gunked up, and it was so cold. My gun never jammed once through the course of the three days that we hunted in those awful conditions. Everybody else had gun issues at that temperature. We we hear this type of story all the time when people really feel like they just they had a great hunt and their hunt got sort of saved where other guns were failing and, and ours were not. And we like I said, we take a lot of pride in it. Um it's not just something that we, we say, that's something that we feel very deeply that you can rely on our guns. The flush. So fast it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way Upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. What's new coming out this year or the next year and a half or so that people can get excited about? 
Oh, boy. Well, since, again, since we've talked last, we've come mm-hmm. out with a 20-gauge A28U, or over-under, so that's new. We've come out with the best treatment. We've come out with the bolt-action rifle. Uh, probably the biggest thing that we've come out with, and this is a little off of the Upland subject, but our super, but not that you couldn't use it for, for Upland, sure. certainly. We, our Super Black Eagle 3 line now has sub-gauges. So we've come out with a 3-inch 12-gauge, we've come out with a 20-gauge, and we've come out with a 28 are you seeing that as a popular gun right now? Because I feel like Very there's so. a big trend of, of hunters going into the sub-gauge uh, guns. I, I know a lot of people that love the 16. I love the 16 as well. But there are many, many 28-gauge users out there. Um, absolutely. Um, 28, we're seeing, has become very popular with even a lot of duck clubs. Um, Lighter gauges have become really popular with a lot of duck clubs. And, and quite honestly, there's a lot of people that just have realized they don't really necessarily need all of the recoil that comes along with some of the bigger gauges. Um, it just a, can be a more pleasant hunt sometimes if you're not necessarily needing the firepower for the particular type of hunt that you're doing. So mm-hmm. if you've got close birds in particular, you've got uh, birds that are decoying in close, um, yeah. Or you're working over dogs and, and you've got close flushes. Yep. To somebody that maybe says, well, then why are there so many options? How do you kind of encourage somebody to go one way or another? Uh, I would answer that, I guess, by saying that that's probably why there's uh, not just one car. Yeah. Okay? It's yeah. a lot of its personal opinion. There are absolutely guys, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. There are guys that say I would never shoot anything other than a gun that can give me three and a half when I want it because they feel confident in in a three-and-a-half-inch shell, and they want that power when they want it. Uh, my other guys will swear by a 20 and say that this is the gun that I like and it's the gun that I want to use. So we try to offer guns across the marketplace to suit a lot of different types of needs and and, and give people what they what they want. Um, do you? How long ago did you start to see this trend change? Was it really the... Uh, ammunition that has evolved so much that it's allowed hunters to go to these sub-gauges? Yeah, I think so, especially with 28. You know, you can't really go to market with a 28 without having ammo to go with it, and we don't manufacture ammo. So um, we're happy that there are a number of of companies that are doing 28s um, and have been doing 28s and supplying 28s, but there's about a half a dozen companies that, will now be offering 3-inch 28s. And so if you want to use a 28 for pheasants, you want to use it for ducks, um, there are a number of companies that are coming out with 3-inch now as well. So the Super Black Eagle in the 28-gauge shoots 3? Yes. 2 and 3 quarter mm -hmm. and 3? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, A lot has changed in the firearm industry since we've talked. I think a lot of people would say, "You could say that." Get get to the question about the guns. Are they? Are you making guns? Are you caught up? Uh, well, you know, there look, was, it's all the time we have today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had uh, Brian Kelvington from Federal on, and there was a while there too where he's like, "There's just this." Everyone has the same question: Where's all the ammo? Where's all the ammo? And he. You know, we got in depth into that conversation as well over the last couple of years, more than one time on this show. Uh, but there's a lot of firearm manufacturers that were feeling the heat as well, trying to keep up with it. Um, 
maybe we should go back and in time a few years as somebody that maybe doesn't understand what we're talking about, but the demand, the spike in demand. Had you ever, I mean, I don't think anybody in this no. industry has ever seen anything like no, it. No, I, I think this is, this is unprecedented. And I, I, that, that word gets over years when we talk about, you know, what we've been through with COVID. But um, when we first, as a company, when we first went into sort of hearing about COVID and we started hearing about businesses being, you know, shut down, we really prepared for just the opposite of what happened. We, we prepared for, boy, this could be rough. You know, um, gun stores may not be able to be open. So we may not have an outlet for our products. You know, we may have to weather a storm here until we can come out the other side of this. So when, when gun stores weren't considered, um, you know, when they were considered essential. an essential business and were continuing to, to do business, and, you know, it was, I think it was just a, a tremendous number of things happened all at once. And then since then, a tremendous number of things have happened to sort of create this weird perfect storm i mean there was a lot of political unrest in the company there was this fear that people weren't going to be able to get some of the guns that they they were looking to get um and there began to be a rush and it began to be a rush on ammo at the same time and those two things i think kind of stepped on top of each other and one created additional demand for the other and so it started going um, crazy. Now, we never backed off of production, but all of a sudden it was difficult to sort of foresee what the future was going to look like. It also, I think for most people, we assumed that we would see this expand and then contract. And this has happened a number of times in, in, in the firearms industry where there's, there's a rush or there's a run and there's a, there's a lot of interest and then mm -hmm. it will go back down again. Well, this went up the first year of COVID, and then it went up again, and it continues right now to, to go up. What made it so difficult to actually be able to keep up with that demand was we had X amount of capacity in a lot of our factories. A lot of our factories got hit very hard with COVID, harder in some cases than we did here. Um, uh, so Italy had some long mandatory shutdowns. Um, for um, what they could do and how many people they could sort of bring on. So even though they wanted to ramp up, they, they couldn't necessarily do that as quickly as they wanted to. So we're still playing catch-up. Um, yeah. we, are, we are at a point finally where we are getting more inventory back on the shelves. And all I can say is if you've been waiting to get one, we appreciate the patience uh, because it, it has been difficult to just keep up with the, the sheer demand. So we're happy to see that finally we're getting some inventory back on the shelves. Personally, I'm seeing more ammo getting back on the shelves as well, which is which is exciting because obviously if the ammo isn't there, then uh, there's not as much interest in the guns either. So uh, hopefully we'll get back to something that, that looks like normal. <laughs> what that, I, I don't know, we what, don't that, know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that is anymore. Yeah. Well, we keep we keep thinking it's going to slide back down to a sort of normal level, but it hasn't happened yet. Let's put it that way. What are you seeing right now in demand? What's what's the highest demand firearm coming out of your factories? Well, I think um, the one thing that was probably the most, even though we saw an uptick in everything, 
because of unrest and the and the sort of I think the fear that COVID put into people, even from a standpoint of, you know, boy, is there going to be? Am I going to be able to protect my house? You know, is it, are we we're going to face some sort of like, you know, weird situation here mm-hmm. where I'm going to need to to have a home defense gun? We saw things like our M4 model uh, increase substantially. So guns that could also be used for home defense, uh, not that you couldn't use any of our guns for home defense, but right. the ones that are specifically made for that, those probably took the biggest percentage jump. But anytime that you have people going into a firearm store for anything, Let's say that they're going to go in because they want to buy a, a striker-fired pistol because they want now a, a, a personal carry gun or they want a gun for their, for their vehicle or they want another gun at the house. You just you have that many much more foot traffic going into stores. And then you've got guys, and I, I know some people personally, this was the case, they went in for one thing and then came out with something else because they decided, well, that gun's on the shelf. I've been thinking about that. I'm going to buy it while I'm here. So. Um, what do you, what do you first see based on, and you guys look out how far in advance do you guys try to plan? Is it six months? Is it a year, two years? We, we actually, we formulate three-year plans and then, you know, watch those (laughs) in some cases. Adjust with the world. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we look, we look at about three years or try to look at about three years at some sort of an estimate. Um, on a on a day to day basis, obviously we're looking at our day to day, week to week sales, month to month sales. Um, but we really have to plan because of the timing it takes to get guns from Italy. We have to plan about four to six months in advance. All right, Tim. All the different models that you have, um, you know, you mentioned that the Ethos Twenty is probably your favorite. But which which guns would you say shotguns kind of fit into the upland world the best super black eagle 3 is really our flagship waterfowl line mm-hmm. ethos and the a28u are really what we consider to be the uh the upland side of things gotcha um <clears throat> i want to go back a little bit because you mentioned alaska but you didn't actually talk about your hunt in alaska oh. i yeah. i'm i'm dreaming about the days that i get to walk for birds in Alaska coming up here, but you've already lived it. So can you fill me in a little bit on what I need to know and what somebody might want to do sometime if they're interested in such a hunt? Uh, I think you mentioned you're going to go for ptarmigan. Yes. So I had a chance to do that on one of the westernmost Aleutian Islands. Um, We were filming a series of commercials there for the launch of our uh, 20-gauge A28U, our best treatment. Um, and we were, uh, and the Lupo rifle. So we were actually doing three different kind of combined hunts and filming those. So I had a chance to hunt, uh, ptarmigan there, which was interesting. Um, ADAC is a, is an old Navy base that's now been decommissioned. And so it's a little bit, it's, it's crazy. It's like a ghost town. There's about, at one point, I think there were 8,000 people that lived there. And now there are about, generally speaking, there's less than a hundred. Um, there's no hospital. There's no police force. There's you're five and a half hours from um, just about anything in terms of getting any kind of, of help. It was it was crazy to be sort of that remote. And then you really walk outside of the village or the, the town that's there, this sort of abandoned 
uh, base, and you can get into Ptarmigan fairly quickly in the sort of those rolling hills around there. So it's, I think what was most spectacular about it was the scenery. It's just spectacular scenery. Unfortunately, when we were there, we were in a down cycle for ptarmigan. So there are times when ptarmigan are so thick that um, you, you may see 20, 50 birds in a, in a flock. We were finding singles and pairs. Interesting. So it was just, we were just at a down cycle when we were there for that. But that didn't make it any less spectacular. Yeah. So. Sometimes you get, a, you get to hunt in uh, some places... It's less about the actual pulling the trigger part. It's Doing just about anything the in Alaska with the backdrop of Alaska yeah. is 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 crazy. So, so yeah, it's just fantastic up there. I love it. Getting there though, you're, you're how far away from civilization, and how did you get there? Well, we actually we flew to Anchorage, and then it's actually about um, it's about a three and a half hour flight by seven forty seven. They go twice a week to get to to Adak, and so. Uh, uh, there's no any other time you either have to get there by boat or you could get there by by another type of plane. You could island hop to get there, but um, we went by 747, and it's a route that they maintain to make sure that they still have supplies that they require for the for the small amount of people that do live there full time. When they order something on Amazon, it doesn't necessarily show I up next day. I don't think it gets there maybe necessarily <laughs> overnight. Was that the place that you got in the boat that almost got stranded out there, where the lifeguard or the the captain said yeah, the life we, jacket? We, yeah, we did. Uh, we had engine al- alarms going off on one of the boats that we were on because we were actually going to different islands to film different things. So the, the the rifle hunt was for caribou, and so we had to go to a different island for that and. Or different parts of the island. So that was the best and easiest way to get around was to go by boat to go to different spots and, and put in. Um, so the Bering Sea is north of Adak and the, the uh, Pacific Ocean is below it and they are on slightly different tide schedules. So when one is up, all the water rushes between the islands and forms some crazy nasty currents. And if it happens to be that there's the Bering Sea is higher and coming down and there's a north wind, it creates what they call the washing machine, which is just crazy standing six-foot waves and with no real pattern um, that you have to get through to get through some of the channels to get to where some of the filming was that we, we were doing. So it was a little bit hairy. Um, and uh, at one point, one of the film crew asked if uh, where are life jackets in the boat? And the, uh, the captain said, well, they're underneath the sea that you're sitting on. He said, but That'll get you an open casket funeral, he said, because in this, if you fall out, he goes, by the time I can come back to get you, there's a pretty good chance that we won't be able to bring you back from the hypothermia that you're in. So he said, just don't fall over. Water temperature is roughly 34, 35. It was in the the 40s, low 40s. Low 40s. We were there. Um, What was the best part of that hunt besides the view? Uh... What do you take from it? I mean, if you look I, back I think, on it. I want to make sure this doesn't get misunderstood when I say this. You know, I, I, as I said earlier, I feel really fortunate to do what I do. And I, I love the concept of being able to go and hunt new places and hunt for new species. And not, not to check a box, but to have the experience. Uh, to me, that's, that's really special is to go and, 
experience a place, experience the hunt, experience the, the background and, and all the things that go into it. Um, it, it's not about, I mean, obviously everybody wants to, to take whatever they're going to be after. But to me, it's not so much about that. It's about being able to, yeah, take that animal, but, but do it in a, in such a unique way or in a, a unique space where you, you have a new experience. I mean, I think that's what it's about, I guess. It boils down to me as experiences. Just being up here and what we're doing here, just another great experience. I mean, you taught me a lot yesterday about fishing for muskies that I wasn't familiar with, and that was great. That I was taught great. you a lot so, of things not to do. Yeah, well, apparently, but I... My, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you taught me exactly what to do. We just weren't fortunate enough to get into them. But, um, yeah. you know, it's it's... Man, if you can go through life and you're still learning, even if it's something that you love like this, um, to me, that's that's the best. Yeah. Scott, do you have any questions you want to... I, I actually do. I want to ask the question that I know <clears throat> you want to ask, but you've been beating around the bush the whole time and not asking it. And I want to circle back to the guns, Tim. Travis really wants to know this. Sometimes he misses high... <laughs> Sometimes he misses low. A lot of the times he misses behind. Which is the gun that corrects all of that? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wants to know. Uh, it's the one that I'm shooting, so I'll go with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, There's not a real uh, answer uh, for yeah, that. No. All, all Benelli solved that problem, so <laughs> just buy a Benelli and then you uh, say. I actually do have a real question for you, Tim. If, if someone listening to the podcast is um, new into upland hunting. And, um, you know, I know it's different for male versus female, and, and fit's a big deal. But if they were to, you were to narrow down a gun for them to kind of go uh, shop for, try out, fit first, what would you say if you're a woman getting into the sport or, or a man getting into the sport? Actually, I would I would recommend the same gun for Upland. I would recommend the Ethos. Okay, I know a lot of women who shoot the Ethos because it is it's light, it's 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 intuitive to point. Um, I would recommend I would recommend that gun for Upland for for both. So and in that twenty gauge, in whatever you're comfortable shooting. I, mean, I if love you, the twenty if, gauge. If you like a twenty gauge, then the the twenty is is a great way to go. If you prefer a, a twelve, then twelve is a, a great way to go. Hunting season is just around the corner, and that means it's time to start planning. If you're looking for a great bird hunting destination this fall, then I strongly recommend that you consider one of my favorite places to hunt. That's North Dakota. North Dakota is a bird hunter's paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day. And North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prey pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. Habitat on the landscape looks great, and I'm hearing reports of a strong hatch from their upland birds. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. 
If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. So here's what I've been telling a lot of people that have asked lately. With the ammunition that we have access to now, Federal Prairie Storm, for instance, is lethal. You know, I'm confident using a 20-gauge with that ammo. But I, I think, you know, some people say, well, I don't want to spend a little extra on a box of shells. So then maybe that 20-gauge isn't going to have the same punch if you're not using some of this ammunition. Obviously, you want to practice, but I feel like your, your distance is increased with the ammunition that we have access to today, and therefore it makes the sub-gauge loads or a 20-gauge or a 16 or 28 very lethal at, to the point of what people thought a 12-gauge was years ago. You're absolutely right, and you're into a really interesting gray area for, yeah. from a sort of an ethics standpoint. I would say know your gun and know your ammo as intimately as you possibly can, and that is somewhat difficult to know, but, you know, I don't hesitate. If I want to see what I think something's going to do, I don't mind taking – I know this, this gets a little pricey, but – Take it to out, out on the range, and you, you can't always take the bigger loads out on something like a sporting clays range because usually a lot of them have restrictions. But if you've got a place to throw some birds, see what it does. Mm -hmm. You know, throw some clays and see what you can see what you feel like it can do. Also, you can see for your own personal experience when you're out there, when you're taking birds and how well they're falling. And if you're it's something nobody likes to talk about, but inevitably it happens. If you're dropping a lot of birds that are wounded or they're not taken cleanly, zone in a little bit and come back. It's it's it's, it's the big challenge I think we face a little bit as, a, as firearms manufacturers and as ammo manufacturers. We always want to say, be great to say, let's put it that way, that this can actually kill further and, and, and mm -hmm. cleaner. Cleaner is great. Further? 
maybe if you're if you're absolutely on and you're a great shot, mm-hmm. but not always if you're not. And so that's where you get into this gray area of yeah. how far out should I be shooting? You well, know? and and it can change too depending on the birds you're hunting. Absolutely, and the choke in your Absolutely. gun. Absolutely, you know. And so I, it's funny even because the time of year you get later birds and you've got fuller, fuller plumage on them, and and you may not you may may not be killing as cleanly. So I, th- I think it's important to remember that, you know, ethics are a big part of this, should be a big part of everybody's experience. And um, so, yes, you're absolutely right. The ammo is getting better and better. And we we actually kind of work that into a lot of our development of the guns as well to make sure that we can take advantage of that, right? But there is a limit and you want to sort of you know, everybody knows the guys that are in the blinds, two blinds down that you see birds that are, you know, 80 yards in the, the air. Sky and they're sky busters, right? That just um, probably doesn't do any of us any good. Mm-hmm. Um, well, on the, on the ethics, too, uh, there's a lot of times where I'll go heavier if I'm questioning it. Because when I pull the trigger, I don't want it to run, like you mentioned. I want it to go down right. clean. Or I don't want to pull the trigger at all. And right. if I'm hunting pheasants in December, I anticipate those birds not wanting to hold, getting up further distances. And yeah, I hear people brag all the time. Oh, I just use my 410 or I only use 28 gauge and I'm a great shot. And there's some amazing shots. I've hunted with a lot of people that are amazing shots. Right. But I still, a lot of times, will sway or, you know, lean towards making sure that I have a little extra punch than not quite enough because I, I feel like we owe it to the birds. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. The other thing that's interesting, and Ron, you, you looks like you want to mention something here too, but I just want to say this. People will sight in their rifle, and yet they'll never fire their shotgun before they go on a bird right. hunt. Right. You know, And I had Scott Carlson from Carlson Choke Tubes on this show a while back, and he talked about how, not say dangerous, but just how different ammo shoots in a gun, and people need to know where that shot is going. Right. With the choke in the gun and the different size shot, because if you're not sure, um, you know, there's certain guns that it might shoot six inches higher or lower than what you think, and that can be a big deal. Ron. Well, thank you for this. I was hoping you would get into that because it always makes me nervous when uh, we start talking about uh, people using a 28-gauge to hunt mallards. And, uh, you know, a 28-gauge might work for a real expert shooter. Mm -hmm. Most of us out there are not that. So I always would rather people err on the side of a little more like a 12-gauge, frankly. Uh, but even if you're not good, maybe the 12 won't help either. But certainly a 12. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is possible to miss with a 12. Yeah, it is. No. But, I mean, a, a 28 is, is more possible to miss or cripple. And uh, people see the ads, like you mentioned, Tim. Hey, you can shoot uh, great distances now. And um, uh, so they, that's what they, they go with. But they don't look at themselves as shooters and shotgunners. And uh, so then we have this issue of uh, a lot of crippling, et cetera. So thank you for that discussion. Uh, You're welcome. 
in in terms of bucket list bird hunts, Tim, are there any that still exist on yours? <laughs> oh yeah, actually, I, I um I would like to do more um, bird hunting in Africa. I've done it as an extension of being over there for big game, mm-hmm. but it was a secondary um, situation. And um, you know, they have Franklin over there and a number of other things that are are. Uh, I think would be a lot of fun to, to, to go after. I've done it, like I said, just a little bit. We did it for a couple of afternoons on a 10-day. Franklin? Yeah, yeah. What are they like? They're like a little, uh, they're like a grouse-sized bird. Just a little, little bit bigger than a grouse-sized bird. But, um, runs around on the ground mostly and, and, and flushes a lot like a grouse. Have you ever hunted Perdiz in Argentina? I have not. I have hunted waterfowl in Argentina, and I've seen Perdiz. But again, when I was there for that particular hunt, we didn't get a chance to go chase them. But that looked like it would be a lot of fun as well. That's something I'd like to do. If you could only hunt one bird for the rest of your life, what oh, would it I be? hate this question. <laughs> I, everybody asks this question, and I hate this question. Ron and uh, Scott, I'm going to ask you the same. Um, well, let them answer first. Um, one, I can only hunt one bird for the rest of my life, huh? Yeah. Oh boy. Scott, you know what you'd Upland? go for? Is it upland we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, upland birds. Uh, boy, I, boy, it's, it's really okay. It's hard. It, well, then I'm not. It's not the only one. But let's say you got a week off to yourself. What are you going to go hunt? I, it's hard to beat wild pheasants. There's just wild pheasants. I think are just a lot of fun. I mean, I love grouse too, but wild pheasants are a lot of fun. Yeah, they they have a way of outsmarting you, Scott. They do. I would concur with Tim for two reasons. <clears throat> They're a lot of fun to hunt. You can uh, hunt them until January, but a bonus when hunting pheasants, wild pheasants in certain areas, is you also get to shoot some huns and some sharp tails too. So I, I would I would go with the pheasant. And plus, I, I hunt flushers, and they're just really fun to hunt pheasants with especially late season like we've done travis or we talked about thick cover that's what some of these labs are made to do yeah ron going to our live studio audience here well i hate to agree with scott and you uh travis and tim but a wild ringneck pheasant is always underestimated of how smart they are. Oh my gosh. And uh, uh, they run a lot more than people think they do, and they run farther than you think they do. And uh, their their hearing is excellent. And uh, what gets me is uh, you get some inexperienced hunters out, and maybe it's late season, they're yelling at each other, yelling at their dog. And uh, those pheasants are, I've seen pheasants a quarter of a mile away as soon as you slam the car door, they're they're flying out already, so they're just a great bird. Mm-hmm. They're and let's not forget how beautiful they are, and how tasty and tasty. I was yeah, going to so, add that that you get that bonus as well at the end. And I love grouse and I like woodcock and I I like all those. But but pheasant is um, you get the table fare on the back end that's really good. Yeah, not as good as a rough grouse. Sorry, guys. I would agree with that. Yeah, rough there's grouse more is the best. <laughs> there is more of it. <laughs> and they're right behind us right now, which means I think we're <clears throat> out right. of time. I'm going to go do some scouting. I might have to come back up here. <laughs> Scott, anything you want to add to the show? No, I was just, it's really interesting, Tim, listening to 
not only you your knowledge of your profession, but the the places you've had the opportunity to go hunt and explore just makes for wonderful stories. Thank you for sharing those. Oh, thanks. So, like I said, I feel privileged to have uh, had the opportunity. So, yeah, it, I feel privileged just to be sitting around here. Look at all these guys around. We've added a few more to the studio audience, but really, look at this view out here. It's it's worth experiencing. Gorgeous. If you've never been to Lake of the Woods, um, you know Wiley Point Lodge out on this island is incredible. Totem Resorts is a is a great place. They've got it's got three different. Uh, or actually four if you count French Portage they have yep. French Portage which is a standalone cabin where you would make your own food and do your own kind of fishing on your by yourself like we did in the show mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then they have Wiley Point which is an outpost kind of resort and Potom Lodge and Yellowbird and you know you Tim Travis I mean we had hundred fish days up here uh, you know yeah the first day when we went out um i kept the clicker going for the jim and jim in the back and the three of us and i clicked it 113 times we caught 113 walleyes that first day yeah and you know the biggest in our boat was a 25 and a half incher so far this week we've seen 29 29 and a half, and a half. which is close to 10 pounds yep um especially this time build. of year yeah, yeah exactly so big fish but a lot of fish we've seen muskies yep, we've muskies, seen big yep. northerns yep. yeah yeah it's it, been great it, it's a wonderful place uh getting back to the flush our episodes are airing right now on the outdoor channel new episodes from now until the end of december we hope you're enjoying watching them if you have any topics you want us to dig into any guests please reach out. You can find us on our website at theflush.tv or on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so keep sending the messages in, and we'll keep answering them and having guests on. Scott, one last? Just one last comment. Um, Ron and I will be joining you for a podcast coming up in, what, three weeks for a special announcement? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. I think, is it three weeks? I'm not sure. Uh, it's, a, it's in a couple weeks. Just tune in every week for the next <laughs> six months, and you'll hear the special announcement. Yeah. You can, we'll just, we'll just tease it and say you might be able to walk in the field with Ron and Scott. And, oh, boy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tim, you're going to have to tune back in for this I, one. I will. I will. <laughs> yes. There's an invite coming. We'll just say that. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Tim, appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we get you that here. musky here. The sun is. Plenty of time yet today. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. Mm -hmm.